Isaiah chapter 53. Thank you for the good song. Well done. I appreciate you taking the effort of being in church this evening and throughout the day today on Lord's Day. And I'm excited as I'm learning things in the Bible and seeing things in the Bible, taking the congregation along with what I learn. And that's uh, what I intend and desire to do. Isaiah chapter 53, we'll be going to a couple passages. Certainly, this entire chapter is worthy of our attention, but I want to draw your particular attention down to one verse in Isaiah 53, and that is verse 3. Let's look at that together, please. said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. And of course, the he and the him in that, in that verse is the Lord Jesus Christ. At that time when that was written, it was a prophetic chapter over seven and a half centuries before Jesus came to the earth. And that was written, and it shows throughout Isaiah 53 the details of the crucifixion and what would happen over 700 years later. Now, if you will, look over Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21 and verse 42 in this chapter. Matthew 21, 42 reads, Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In Isaiah 53, we read that He was despised and rejected of men. In Matthew 21, we read that this is the stone which was rejected of the builders. We could go to a lot of other verses that deal with Jesus Christ and the fact that He was rejected. Some don't use that particular word, but they're speaking of the same thing. Familiar one in John chapter 1, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. And that, what was that? There was rejection. I want to speak to you this evening just a few moments on the subject responding to rejection. Responding to rejection. And I want you, as we think about the message, I want us to get right into it. And I'm going to give you a little time, uh, not quite as lengthy this evening as maybe even a normal Sunday night. And I'll give you a little time of refreshing. We'll have the choir practice. We'll have a few things moved around and such. And uh, fellowship a little while like you do. Brother Fennell commented on that. And he said that's always a sign of a healthy church. And it is. People like to talk and, and be around. And then, and then head home. Not running you off, but uh, definitely you need to hurry. Don't fail you hurry, but get a little rest. Plan these next couple of days so you can be in the services and be a part of things. And by the way, on my wife's behalf, a little apology to those. She turned the lights off on today rather abruptly after service. It really did. And a couple said, well, I guess it was time for us to leave. She didn't change her watch and she couldn't figure out why it was so late in the afternoon. Everybody was still here. And so, so if Mrs. Manny starts turning the lights off, somebody let me know and we'll stop that, okay? <laughs> Responding to rejection. 
And we're going to take things in their context, of course, with the Scripture, but I believe that you may have, just like I did when I was thinking of this and studying over it and preparing for tonight, um, you may see a broad application of some of these truths for different situations we run into in life. Certainly no one likes rejection. I don't think anybody uh, enjoys it. Some are less affected by it than others. Some people, it's not as big a deal to them uh, with it. And then part of that is, it's according to who's rejecting us, you know. Somebody rejects you that you don't really know or you don't hold in any kind of high esteem. It doesn't really mean much to you. But if it's someone close and that sort of thing, then it carries a much greater weight. Um, but how do we respond to rejection? And the context of these passages deal with how do we respond with rejection as God's people with God's message. This morning in the message, as I spoke to you about the fact that uh, the stewardship of the mysteries of God deals with the fact that uh, God wants the world to know who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Now, there are times when that message will be rejected. There are times when that will be rejected. The next statement I'm getting ready to make to you is not a theoretical statement. It's all too real to some of you in this room. There are some times when you decide to make a stand for Christ, and I'm talking about you just decide to live what would be a biblical Christian life, that you may be rejected by some. I remember a fellow telling me one time, he said, I'd been kind of concerned when I got saved about all my old partying friends and you know how... How I would tell them I wasn't going to party anymore. He said I didn't have to worry about it if they dumped me. <laughs> it was just the moment I started to witness to him. That was the end of that. So that's good. But uh, sometimes family and that sort of thing. We, we went to Bible college, my wife and I did, with people who were disowned by their families because they had accepted Christ. We had one person in Bible college with us who was from a staunchly Catholic and they a European Catholic, and that, that makes a difference in the day, the European Catholic family, first generation over, that literally held a funeral service for them when they went to a Baptist college. Now, I've not known that type of rejection. and so There were people that we were in school with who, who did that, and they said, well, we're going to go forward for Christ. It wasn't because they were uh, mistreating their family. It wasn't because they had been out of the way towards their family. It was simply because you've rejected uh, what we believe and therefore we will, we will no longer communicate with you. How do you respond to rejection? Vitally important because it is going to happen. Look at Matthew chapter 10. I did not arrange these in any order of importance that I could see designated in the Bible. Sometimes as I'm going through the passages, dealing with things for truth that the Lord has put on my heart to give to the church, sometimes there's an obvious ascending or descending order of importance to things. That wasn't the case of this. But look at Matthew chapter 10. In verse 12, as Christ was sending His disciples out, in verse 12 He said, And when you come into a house, salute it. You greet it. You give it a greeting and a, and a, and a greeting of uh, uh, hospitality, if you will. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, 
nor hear your words. And you understand the context of this is your, the, the, the gospel going out and them coming specifically to teach the Word of God. When you depart out of that house or city, shake the dust off, excuse me, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And the reason why is because that city would have received a clear uh, presentation of the full scope of God's, uh, God's uh, uh, provision for salvation. They would receive a witness of the full, complete picture of who Messiah was, and they rejected that. And so when he was teaching this, he said, you shake off the dust of your feet when you go out. Several passages deal with that or, or, or language very close to it. If you will, responding to reaction, I'll put this down with it. Uh, it's not wasting all of our time or actually the time that the Lord's entrusted to us in a fruitless effort. Uh, there comes a point in time where you say, well, I've done what I can do. There comes a point in time to be quiet and go on. You say, does this literally mean what it says? Yes, it literally means what it says. I'm not trying to take that out of context in the least. But what this response to rejection, and we see it here, it's with the gospel, but I think you, your mind will readily make applications all over with this. When we're responding to rejection, part of that is the fact our response is there can come a point where the rejection is so frequent and so blatant you say, okay, I'm done with this. I'll walk away. You say, well, you're just giving up on somebody. The Bible said when he did this and they wouldn't receive it. And it wasn't just the idea they're hearing it. It's the idea they're saying, no, I don't want this. Um, there comes a time you walk away from it. I don't know if it ever occurs to us, but uh, it could be that we've done all that we can do. But that doesn't mean all that can be done has been done. In other words, someone else may come along and be able to do something with it. But as far as us, it's, that's, that's as much as we can do with it. Um, I, I've talked to people and witnessed to people and they're just like very adamant. Don't want to hear this. Don't want to talk about it. I'm like, okay. Go on with where you're going. Why? Because you need to recognize when you're into a fruitless situation and God's entrusted you with time. You know, he's in, you have limited time just like I do. Hopefully we understand all of us here enough about finances to know that we can't just spend however much we want on anything we want because we have a limited resource. Well, it's the same thing with our time. And God wants us to use our time well. And so, uh, shaking the dust off our feet. That starts with a sober one, doesn't it? But it really does. And part of that, I want you to understand, that shaking the dust off their feet, what happens with that, like literally, is they would now, they would just, okay, I'm not identified, but then they would go away. Notice it's not a, they don't yell back at that city. They don't, you know, holler at that household of people. Well, if you don't want that, they, they're, it's just, okay. All right, let me go on. And so that's one way we respond to rejection. Let me give you another one. Look in Acts chapter 13. Acts 
in my mind and as I was roughing in the message and, and uh, preparing it in the way in which I generally prepare a message, I moved things around, this one first, this one second, to see if there was a more even flow of things, but there's really not. It's just some lessons for us to learn as far as rejection and what goes with it. You know, sometimes people, um, rejection causes them to back off from doing what they ought to know because they're just, oh, I don't I don't like to be told no. I don't like to be rejected. Well, there's, there's something to learning how to do that because it does happen. Acts 13, and look in verse uh, 40, I think 44 is what I want. I'm not mistaken. Yes, verse 44. And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the Word of God. Now, I don't know how many were in the city, but any size town that would be called a city, if you have almost the whole population come together to hear the Word of God, that's pretty exciting. really is. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, so we know it's a large crowd, They were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So even as the Word of God's going out, there are people who are actively coming in and and trying to contradict what they're saying. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, and they're saying this specifically to these Jews, it was necessary that the Word of God should first have been spoken to you. There's a lot of Bible for that. But seeing you put it from, from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Look what happens after that. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. So this one I put down, turning to the Gentiles. Um, Paul and his companions were preaching to the Jews first. That's biblical. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. The Jewish people, where God's chosen people still are too, if you want to know how to pray regarding current conflict. And they... They were the first to receive the oracles of God, which in that context, I'm using a biblical term for that, is is the Word of God. To them was promised the Messiah. And He was coming to them, but they rejected their Messiah. They they said no to Him. Now there were Jews that believed, many thousands, but as a nation, they rejected Him. And so when Paul and his companions are preaching the Gospel... The Jews start not only not re, not only were they resisting the gospel, but then they were they were maliciously going about stirring up people against Paul and Barnabas, so they get them kicked out of the city, so that they couldn't preach the gospel there anymore. And Paul's response to that kind of rejection was this: 
He said, seeing you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. I put this down with this, and this is, this is vital in handling re, uh, rejection and how you respond to it. It's opening our eyes to the bigger picture. Um, open our eyes to a different perspective on things. You get rejection in one area. It doesn't mean that you're done. It just means that area may not be open to you anymore. I wrote it down this way. One person or group's rejection does not relieve us of our responsibilities, nor does it restrict us from being fruitful. Because a group rejects doesn't mean we can't be fruitful. It just means they've made a decision about themselves. Though a group rejects, it doesn't relieve me of my responsibility. Because they don't listen doesn't mean I don't have responsibility to others. It just means they're not listening. And it is so common in all areas of life for people to take rejection as final. Obviously, or I, I say obviously, I think you would understand, I find writing, uh, literature, and, and, uh, and I just reminded some of you of a very a class you didn't like very much in school. I'm not talking about in that. I'm talking about writing and the art of writing. I, I think... Uh, I'm fascinated by those who are successful authors in all types of different genres of authors. Um, what it took, how they did the work that's behind that. Sometimes people say, well, I'd write a book. That's an easy way to make money. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm fascinated by it. Now, I'll tell you what I have found to be true in everything I've encountered with it. I'm not an author, obviously. I mean, I've written things, but I'm not an author by any means. Um, but what I, I've seen, and it doesn't matter where somebody's written westerns or Christian books or novels of some type, here's the common thing you find out in those who are successful at it. They all got very familiar with something that is called a rejection slip. <laughs> and it's not unusual for those who became very well-published authors in their early stages to literally be rejected by hundreds of different places or at least hundreds of different times, sometimes multiple times in the same place, but literally hundreds of different times for their early writings. They would send a manuscript. No, we're not interested. They'd send something else. No, that's not good. The, the editors would tear it all apart. Nope, we're not going to use it. They tried to get in a well-published magazine. Nope, not going to happen. I'm not... My point here is not to endorse this publication one way or another, but if you were trying to get an article published in Reader's Digest, it might have an appeal if you could pull it off because I think their base pay starts about $25,000 an article. But if you get try, trying to get one in there, trying to get it in there, that's the tough part. Why? Rejection. There's been many a person who's tried to start in a certain... Uh, uh, in a certain uh, uh, type of uh, uh, business or a certain, uh, a certain career path that they want to go on, they've been rejected in the early stages of it. Maybe even after they've gotten into it for a while, they're rejected when they try to do certain things. I told no, you can't do this. No, we're not interested. No, you don't have what it takes. Whatever they're told. But in the context, if we understand what happened with something very important, which is getting the gospel out, these folks rejected. They said, no, we don't want it. 
And the apostles' response was not to stop. The apostles' response was to get the bigger picture. Okay? You've judged yourself unworthy. That's your choice. But I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Because the apostles were not going forth and subsequently those who were taught by the apostles and those who were taught by them since the faith is committed to the saints down through the ages. So we're all supposed to be doing the same thing. When Christ commissioned the apostles, he did not just commission the apostles to get the gospel out. By that, those they taught and those they taught and those they taught. Otherwise, a lot of verses in the Bible are completely foolish. In fact, even the one where Christ said, I will be with you even into the end of the world. Those apostles are not here at the end of the world. We are. And those of us who have been, we've had this commitment to us to get the gospel into all the world, regardless of what group receives or rejects it, it doesn't change what we're supposed to be doing. Because the one who sent us, sent us to get the message of who Jesus is and why he came to the whole world. You know, there are uh, people who've went to nations foreign to us. You understand we are foreign to them too. We talk about foreign nations. <laughs> We're foreign to them. Um, but there are people who went to nations foreign to us and found that they were very open and receptive. There are some places where they go and the people are just hungry for the gospel. They just want to hear. There are other places it's not quite that way. And what do you do? You keep the bigger picture. I think it was interesting. In the early days, there's a fellow named Dave Soldier who's been a missionary in England for a lot of years now. Almost as long as I've been pastoring here. And uh, Dave Soldier and I, we were in Bible college together, graduated together. In fact, his son is going back to England as a missionary and is uh, on deputation right now here in the United States. And when Dave went, he went to the London area and he was there, a huge metropolitan area, and he went with a burden for the British people. Well, as people got saved and people started, it started growing, his church started having people come, almost none of them were from England. Almost none of them were British. But in a city of 15 million plus people, a metropolitan area, there were people from every nation of the world. And Dave said some of the missionaries sent out by certain groups that had been there for a while would give him a hard time and say, you're not a true missionary to London. You're not a true missionary to the British people. Your church has almost no Britons in it. And Dave would just say, Every creature? All the world? And I'm going down the street and there's hundreds of thousands of people coming past me from every nationality and I'm just supposed to find, hey, are you from England? No, okay, I can't talk to you. Okay. I thank God there are ministries which focus on the Jewish people and getting the good news message of their Messiah to them. And I'm for those that are done right but I'm telling you what I'm not for are Jewish ministries that walk past nine Gentiles to get to one Jew. Why? Because there's a bigger picture. 
And we need to understand that one person or group's rejection of us in any aspect of life does not mean that we are absolved of our responsibilities. Neither does it mean that we cannot be fruitful. One place shuts you down, doesn't matter. You just go somewhere else. If you know why you're doing what you're doing. Let me show you another one. Look in John chapter 15. So I've talked to you about shucking shucking corn. Talked about that this morning. Shaking the dust off our feet. (laughs) Talked to you about turning to the Gentiles and look in John 15. Now when I was studying for this, I was looking and I understand doctrinally where all these verses are, but my mind was making all kinds of interesting applications of that general principle and truth. Maybe yours will do that for you and God will give you something specific that will help you when you encounter some rejection in life. John chapter 15, look in verse 18. Well, start in verse 17 because you may know verse 17, but you're going to see in verse 18 and following why it's so vital. Jesus said, these things I command you that you love one another. Well, we know that's, of course, it's a good commandment. It comes from the Lord, but we understand that's a, that's a great thing, right? But then look at the next verses. If the world hates you. And what puts an even stronger emphasis is on Christian people being loving towards each other is that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world. And so we need to be a resource of care for one another. In a world that may not agree and at times... Uh, that there may not be a comfortable situation. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Say, so, oh, the world hated Jesus? How did, it, how, did, how did His ministry on earth end? They weren't just saying words against Him. They butchered Him. And hung Him butchered on a cross while a whole crowd jeered Him and made sport of it. That's, I don't know how deeper you'd have to go to get to hatred. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. They have no way to cover it. It's been exposed. Now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now that's vital. We shouldn't be giving a cause for someone to hate us. But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, 
even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of Me. And ye also shall bear witness because ye have been with Me from the beginning. Understand the basis of the bias. When rejection comes, we shake the dust off our feet. There comes a time where you don't just keep pushing in a fruitless situation. When the, uh, when the re- rejection comes, we turn into the Gentiles. We look at the bigger picture, the bigger perspective. And then we understand the basis of the bias. Um, in, John, in Luke 17.25, Jesus said, He first must suffer many things. Talking, talking about Him, He said, He must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. What's the basis of the bias? It's darkness. That's the basis of the bias. It's an unbelief in Christ. That's the basis of the bias. Not everybody who's an unbeliever is hostile towards the things of God. Not everybody who's an unbeliever is, is looking for a chance to persecute the people of God. That's not even taught or suggested in the Scripture. But there are those who do. And the, the origin of that type of thing is they don't know the Father. They can talk about God, but they don't know the Father. Because you're not going to hate the Son and love the Father. And so, when this happens, you have to understand the basis of the bias. So when you're rejected, you look at it and say, alright, we're rejecting the message. It's not pleasant. I have presented the Gospel to people and had them just reject it. And I mean in a way that's, that's somewhat hostile. I've never, well, I've never suffered wounds from it. I've been threatened. I've had various odd things happen. Maybe a couple of times it looked like I was going to suffer wounds from it, but that never quite went that way. But I'm talking about the thing where somebody's just sneering at you. I'm talking about the thing where somebody's yelling at you. I've I've knocked on the door and had people come to the door and just said, hi, you know. Tell them who I am. and Just like talk to you, man. They just start yelling at you. And said to them, I'm I'm sorry, did I do something to upset you? They're just just railing on you. Sometimes it's, you know, you get that more a lot more with men than you do women. You don't have it happen very often. It's very rare for it to happen. But um, they're just, some of them are just trying to be macho. You know, next time they're with some of their friends. Yeah, let me tell you what I did. One of those religious people, you know, they're, they're looking to be a hero somewhere. And uh, you can kind of tell that. They're all puffed up about it. Some people, maybe there's some serious hurt in the background somewhere. And, and you know, you're just catching it. <laughs> maybe some other religious person, maybe not even a Christian, but from a religious organization, like JWs or some of them, Maybe they've been there and got them all stirred up before you got there. It's like, thanks, appreciate that. Or maybe it was another Baptist who didn't have any sense. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, brother. Um, But when they're rejecting it because they want nothing to do with God, you know, it's not humorous because man wouldn't listen to the gospel, but right over here, uh, in fact, not real far from where Miss Dottie lives, there's a fellow walking down the road and I was making some visits over in there and soul winding over in there doing both. And, and I saw him. I pulled the car over and, and walked over to him. I said, hey. I said, uh, I want to talk to you about something if you got a second. And he goes, I'm not interested. Forgive me. Nonsensical statements hurt my brain. I haven't told him who I was anything yet. So I'm not interested. I said, 
I said, I haven't even said anything to you. I really did. I'm like this. I'm like, not interested in what? He just looks at me and goes, not interested in anything you have to say. I said, what'd you do with that? I laughed. I have a weird sense of humor. I'm like, okay. I said, well, that pretty well settles it. He goes, yeah. And you know, he was ready for a fight. He goes, yeah, I guess it does, doesn't it? I said, yeah, I guess so. Enjoy your walk. And he just kind of looked at me, you know, dumbfounded by what he was expecting me. But, I mean, what are you going to do? He just, he, and he was trying, you know. Not interested in anything you have to say. Where do you go from there? That's when you say, I'll give my million dollars to somebody else. There you go. <laughs> I'll give my million dollars to somebody else. I love it. I write that one down. Use it sometime. <laughs> And I come back in here all beat up. The guy mugged me to get my million dollars. You know? <laughs> it can be rough. But I don't know what he was rejecting. I don't know what the background was. But when sometimes you get in and you start talking to somebody and they know you're talking to them about the Bible, they know you're talking to them about the gospel, I'm not interested in that. I don't know anything else. That, that can hurt. That can be very personal. But you have to stand, understand the basis of the bias. God needs grown-ups to do His work. Now, young people, I'm not cutting you out of that. And I'm not even talking about a chronological age. In other words, I'm not saying you have to be at a certain age to do His work. And I want the children here and the young people to be clear what I'm saying right now. He needs us to be grown up in the Lord. We need to not be pouting like babies. I tried to talk to somebody. They wouldn't accept what I said. Well, they have the capacity to do that. They don't have the right to. Nobody has the right to reject Christ. It's never right to do so. But they do have the capacity to. So understand the basis of the bias. And then let me say to you tonight, not only do we shake the dust off our feet, don't just keep wasting time and a fruitless effort, Turning to the Gentiles, getting the bigger picture with that. Not only understanding the basis of the bias, but we also need to understand the elements of the worship involved in it. Look with me in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Bless you, sir. Acts chapter 1. And it's a very familiar passage when it comes to getting the gospel out, but I want to draw your attention to something in it. Certainly not new, but maybe an aspect of it that uh, we've not thought of before with it and, or not spent time with. Acts 1 and verse 8, And Jesus said, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I want you to notice the little phrase there, unto me. Um, one of our good men in this room was asking me about witnessing to somebody at work and I, talked, I took him to those two words, unto me, and I said the main thing is 
You don't try to really figure out where that person is, except just having sense enough to know that you know who you're talking to and that. But you, you're there to tell them about Christ and and uh, tell them who He is, what He did. That's what we are witnesses unto me. But that little phrase is interesting. Um, when I read through, it was reading through Acts, and I've been in Acts uh, as I'm developing the Sunday school lessons for the series we're in and in our Sunday school time. And I, I'm excited about our Sunday school time. I'm excited about what's going on in there. I'm excited about the fact that you have a place and time at your local church where you can come in and be trained further in the Bible, be better equipped to, to follow the Lord. And a small investment of time on your behalf has good dividends to it. But... I was coming through the book of Acts and looking at this, and that little phrase, unto the Lord, it shows up the, you're to be witnesses unto me. And I understand I'm to be a witness unto Christ, so when I'm talking to somebody, the context is that I'm witnessing about who Jesus is. Here's what He did. Here's, here's the price He gave. Young man I talked to this afternoon. Just get into the basics. We have a bunch of time. Here's who Christ is. Here's why He came. Put put uh, put some gospel literature in His hand. Here's the thing. While I'm doing that, though, I'm doing it unto the Lord. Jesus said, "Be witnesses unto Me." So I'm witnessing on His behalf to others, but I'm witnessing unto Him. I'm doing it, here's the thing, as an act of worship to God. Witnessing is an act of worship to God. When we all agree that the Bible is pretty clear that bringing glory to God's name is worship? Strong aspect of it? Tell me what could we possibly do to more bring glory to the name of God than to clearly present and help someone understand who Jesus is and why He came. We bring glory to God with our good works, as the verse behind me says. We can bring glory to God with our words and our heart towards Him as we worship, as we praise God. But we bring glory to God and we can do it unto Him when we witness about Jesus Christ. Because when we're doing that, we're, we're saying, Lord, You're so good, I'm going to go talk to someone else about You. I'm going to make Your name known. I'm going to do my part in making sure that people know who Jesus Christ is. Do it unto the Lord. It's an act of worship. Um, a fellow named Larry Bullard, he was, a, um, he was a staff member at First Baptist when I was in Bible college, and he was, uh, when I was involved with it, he ran the sailor ministry where I've talked to you about, where we went up to Great Lakes Naval Base. And uh, Brother Larry Bullard had been, a, uh, he had been in the Navy himself and such. In fact, he was one of the two men that actually started that ministry at First Baptist. And then that ministry was copied uh, around the country at different bases and with great effect. And uh, I remember Brother Bullard, one thing he taught us. We'd go up there on a Saturday morning, all of us working in, in school full time. We'd, we'd meet at the uh, Sailor Ministry building there in Hammond. 
which is about 14 miles from the college where I was a dorm student. Hard to think of this. It took about 40, 45 minutes to drive that 14 miles because of traffic. So heavy up there near Chicago. Let me see. I'm still trying to see if I have any time ever missed that for one second. Nope. Um, we'd get there early. We'd have our 7.30 meeting. We'd have plans for the day. We'd get on a bus. We'd head up to Great Lakes Naval Base, which is a good distance. You go all the way up through Chicago and the north, up past the north end of Chicago and, uh, and Hammond South, uh, south and uh, east of Chicago. And we would, we would, go, we would go up there. Our, our bus had a, they took a seat out of it and bolted a pulpit in and had a PA system. And we'd take turns preaching on the way up and we'd preach on the way back. Had all kinds of things going on. You had a lot of time with this. And we'd have a bunch of workers with it. And Brother Bullard got up one day and he wasn't usually on the bus. He'd maybe meet us there or different things. He's assistant pastor, First Baptist, had a lot of duties. But I still remember him teaching us. I'm almost sure he was on the bus and may have been at that meeting right before we left. But in any case, he, he taught a very simple thing that's never left me for going out and witnessing. And this ties into what I'm telling you tonight. He said, fellas, learn to talk to God while you're going to talk to other people. He said, learn to talk to God. He said, not flowery, not showy, um, no big thing where you're trying to act spiritual. He said, just learn under your breath to talk to the Lord. And he gave the example there because you had the different schools that they had that they would have up there, electrician school or whatever, different things that they had in different areas of the base. And we would go up to those areas and then there was a common area they called the Gidunk and uh, it was a place where you could get the, the snacks and all that stuff. And uh, as we'd be walking along, there'd be these uh, men going you know, on the sidewalks from place to place. And the way he gave example, he says you're walking towards them and you're going to try to talk to this sailor here and you're going to invite him down. You're going to try to give the gospel to him. You're going to invite him down for the rest of the weekend. You know, that they can have a good meal and there's going to be some sports and then they'll have lodging. We'll go to church tomorrow and then bring you back and get you back in before curfew time uh, there on Mainside. And he said, when you go along, you see that one coming and you're walking over, you start talking to the Lord, something like, uh, Lord, I'm going to try to talk this. I open their heart and open their ear. God, help me to, to listen to them and you know, pay attention to what I'm talking to. I'm telling you, it becomes a natural thing that you're doing that. I find myself, I'll witness to people or I'll visit you know, houses or I'll make a visit or just meet somebody out like this afternoon. And as I'm talking to them, I'm actively asking them, okay, I'm going to say what are doing this. Maybe I'll deal with the house and say, God, help me. Whoever's here, whoever answers this door, you treat them the right way and tell them the gospel. And then walk away about that person there that seems confused on it. They need uh, Lord help. Do what I couldn't do. Overcome my failings. God, don't, 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 please, please, I try to be careful, but, but don't let my failings and the way I present the thing get in the way of the truth there. You see what I'm saying? You just learn to, learns to be a part of it. Well, can I tell you it's an act of worship too? going along and you're witnessing and you start telling somebody about what Jesus did. I'll tell you what, you can get happy with it. It's like, let me tell you how good God is. So I was talking to last week. I just said to him, I said, just, let me tell you something. We just haven't been here. 
and I was talking to him, and it was in a public setting. I didn't have very long with him. I, I gave him a piece of gospel literature and I said, look, uh, we're both going different ways. I said, all I'm going to say to you is Jesus Christ is the best thing that's ever happened in my life. And uh, he's good. Man, is he good. God's good. His word's good. And he just did it. What? It's an act of worship. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be an act of worship, do you? I believe it's an act of worship. Why? Because be witnesses unto me. Not, I'm not... What we're doing going out with the gospel is beneficial to the people. But it needs to be unto God. You say, how does that tie in with rejection? Well, if they reject, we're still doing it as an act unto the Lord. How many converts did Noah have? You won't find evidence of a single one. There wasn't anybody on that boat but his family. You ever read Isaiah 6? About when Isaiah, Here my Lord sent me. Isn't that a great verse? It is. should be preached as such. And then the Lord said, Go! But they will not hear. Would you be, how would you like to be like the Prophet Jeremiah, God said, I, I gave you to be a testimony against the nations. He said, you're going to preach and I'm not going to listen. He told Ezekiel he had made his forehead as hard as an adamant so he could come against the faces of the people. You want these job descriptions? Hey, God says, I'm calling you to do this. All right, what is it? You're going to slam into society for a long time. We might be tempted to ask, as Isaiah asked once he got the full, fullness of the commission, Lord, how long? <laughs> but you do it unto the Lord. Paul said it this way about his preaching. He said, We are the savor of life unto life and death unto death, and who is sufficient for these things. In other words, some people here are preaching, We are a messenger of death to them because they are rejecting the truth. And we may be the last voice of truth they hear. And to others, message of life because they respond to truth. And he, he said, who's sufficient for these things? The man that we count as the greatest of the apostles says, who, who's, who's sufficient for this? What's the big picture? The big picture is we do it unto the Lord. And when we do it as unto the Lord, that we're being a witness on His behalf, then it allows us that even though we emotionally feel rejection, even though we don't cherish rejection by any means, that we can be faithful in the face of rejection. He was despised and rejected of men. The servant is not above his master. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank You for Your people tonight. And uh, may these truths take hold in our souls to give us an anchorage in truth. I pray You'll bless. Lord, may we as an act of worshiping You just tell others how good You are. Tell them why You came and what You did. Bless Your people tonight. May their hearts be open to You, ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together, please. The song of invitation. To come tonight, I'd ask you to come and open yourself for serving the Lord in any way He wants you to. 
I'd ask you to come tonight and pray not only for yourself, but for the continuance of our meeting through the week here. And say, God, teach me with what's coming and who's going to speak.